right, welcome back to the Ottawa studios of Inside My Canoe Head. I am Dr. D, your host for this amazing episode where we are going to talk about the power of fear and the fear-mongering that is going on across our society. So sit back, grab a blanket, because you're going to get scared, and your favorite beverage. Let's get at it. All right, welcome back. Listen, uh, thanks again for everybody, uh, your input that is coming into InsideMyCanoeHead.ca, all the folks signing up for our newsletters, and your suggestions, good, bad, or indifferent. Remember, reach out to me on DMs, all of our social media, or at jeff at preparednesslabs.ca. So yeah, it's been a really interesting week. Uh, Father's Day was yesterday. Have to throw some commentary in. I had the incredible privilege of talking to my son for an hour while he is on the other side of the planet uh, representing our country. Uh, It is a really weird... Uh, switch of roles, to be frank with you, that uh, this is the first time uh, I've been home for Father's Day and my kid hasn't. You know, 28 years in the Army, I think probably home for about half of those Father's Days and the rest of them I have been somewhere doing something and this is just a bit of a role reversal. But anyhow, I hope you all enjoyed it, had an opportunity to talk to your fathers, to your father figures, Uh, And if they're no longer with us, had the opportunity to grab your favorite beverage, sit back and reflect on the important role that people play in our lives. And that leads us to today's discussion on fear. Fear, let's, let's be blunt. Fear is the most powerful of human emotions. It is the one that elicits the most immediate and most life-changing type of responses. There has been probably 60 to 80 years of in-depth research into the emotional response and the range of emotions available to a human being. And it all comes pretty clear that uh, humans have a very visceral response to fear. Uh, somebody who is able to induce or entice fear into a target uh, has a great ability to manipulate that target and to begin controlling that target. So in the marketing sense, um, any of you that have taken any marketing classes or been in a business in any way, shape or form, we know from a sales point that it can be drawn down to simply this. Humans make acquisition decisions based upon emotion and following the decision to purchase, they then justify it with logic. And if you understand that, then you'll be able to be a reasonably good salesman. You just have to understand what emotion is best suited to elicit interest into your product or service that you're offering and to get people to subscribe. And I'll be very clear, this is big in the preparedness movement. We'll talk about it a little later in the episode in detail, but fear is everywhere in the preparedness literature, in the preparedness uh, online channels, and to some degree in a lot of preparedness podcasts. I mean, we live in a state of fear. And if you don't understand that, just think about the last three years as the world navigated through the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, 
Do you want to, as a government, do you want to persuade your population uh, to comply with what you think at the time, based upon the information you have at the time, is the most appropriate behavior? Do you execute that through fear or do you execute it from a position of trust in your government? We saw different governments around the world leverage fear threaten all kinds of horrible consequences to people if they did not comply. And then we saw a number of governments choose the trust perspective, not using fear, not enticing and trying to get people to comply because fear works until the information and evidence is available At that point, humans actually move out of the fear zone and into a more logical understanding and debate. This is why you saw wave one, COVID-19, lockdowns, almost 100% compliance with what was going on because people were fearful. They didn't understand the world around them. They didn't understand what was happening. Once people did understand, you started to see a range of discussions emerge about what the pandemic is, the role of government in the pandemic, etc. And I'm not here, this has nothing to do with bashing government's responses, because that's really easy to do in hindsight when look back, hey, I'm going to take the information I have from 2023 about the COVID-19 virus and the effects of lockdowns. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to bash the 2020 government. Yeah, people do it in revisionist history all the time. It's ridiculous. I'm not going down that road. But understand that a lot of governments did use fear as a weapon to control populations. Now, the difficult and the important part about this is that fear works in two reasons. One, I said until people get the evidence, but the second way in which fear is very powerful is that if people never seek the evidence or the evidence is not offered to them, then they they remain in a fear-driven paranoia. And these are people that have come to believe in some pretty significant tinfoil hat conspiracy theories. Now, I'm not going to go down that road because conspiracy theories are hilarious to get into. Maybe I'll do an episode on it later, put some tinfoil hat on. But there are a lot of things that that we believe to be true uh, in 2020 that turned out to actually be government-run propaganda conspiracy theories. Um, So, you know, I can't call it tinfoil hat because a lot of it actually turned out to be truisms. But the end result is this. If people hold on to a belief, the fear-induced belief that something is going on, the government is building FEMA camps to park us all into when they shut down society, and they never actually seek the evidence, they are going to run around the internet. We've all run across them and keep championing this idea that FEMA is building camps to lock up a good portion of the American population against their will because of some future pandemic. Um, When you start hearing phrases like that, those are not necessarily dumb, idiotic humans. Those are people who have been drawn in by a fear motive. The fear emotion has taken control. And without seeking any additional information and without doing any investigative work on their own, they've been caught hook, line and sinker and they remain in this position of a fear response 
right? So what has this got to do with preparedness? Well, my friends, if you've never been on YouTube, well, then you won't know what I mean. But if you've been on YouTube and you do any work in the preparedness space, you just have to look at the predominant YouTube channels in preparedness, and we are about to face societal collapse. Holy smokes. We are on the edge of World War III, nuclear Armageddon. We're going to have a CBRN uh, attack in North America. Our power grid is one step from collapsing. And there's a bunch of nefarious people that are going to drop an EMP uh, nuclear device on top of North America, right? Happy days. This is what works if you need to race your channel and your support to a million viewers, to a couple hundred thousand views, to start, you know, just feeding this fear, uh, feeding the fire, feeding the apocalyptic view, right? Because, as you know, it's very much known that the role of selective evidence is what I like to refer to it. It's the non-scientific term, but it's, it's how I simplify it. You know, in research, do you seek supporting information? It's referred to as confirmation bias. So if I'm a right-wing conservative, and I hate that term, but whatever, everybody uses it. So if somebody is a right-wing conservative and they surround themselves with right-wing conservatives... Uh, they're going to get confirmation bias, which means they seek out the information that proves what I believe to be true. That's not conducting research, right? That's confirmation bias. And people do it all the time. Whether you are a climate alarmist, a climate activist, whether you are a neoclassical economic viewpoint on uh, Milton Friedman's world of free markets, it, it doesn't matter. You will continue in large part, to confirm your bias through ensuring that the information you seek and the information that you present to the world from whatever platform you have is supporting of your viewpoint. What we like to refer to as what's supposed to happen in research is you seek out a question, you come up with a hypothesis about what you think you may find, and then you go out and you conduct some form of an experiment that is well-controlled and well-defined to seek out the evidence of what actually is going on. And then you sit back and you look at the hypotheses that you came up with to determine whether the information you found corroborates what you thought you would find or in fact, it does not and something else has been found. That's research, right? And then when we find an anomaly, which I speak at length at conferences and, and things about in um, and on my blogs as well, you know, when I do public speaking about emergency preparedness communications, I talk a lot about paradigm changing anomalies, right? Things that research is telling us is, should be done differently and things that work to inform people in preparedness is not what the public sector is doing. And the public sector is very reticent and hesitant to adopt new innovative ideas that break the current mold. Uh, and so there's, that's what research is supposed to do. It's supposed to go out and answer honest questions, do a well-defined methodology against a hypothesis and find out what we, uh, what's actually going on. But the power of fear does not work well with logical research, right? Because logic defines and defies fear. It presents evidence and it calms people down. And the idea is the evidence presents what actually is going on. 
not what you think is going on, not what you want to go on, not what you believe is going on, but what the world actually looks like. We know that the research that has gone into emergency preparedness communications from the public sector to residents is that severity and probability of events do not affect decision making. So no matter how fearful you attempt to use use the power of fear uh, against people for the threat of hurricanes and the damage that a hurricane can do, telling somebody that there is a 72% probability that a category four hurricane will hit. And this is what it looks like. Uh, research has shown that 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 has little to no effect on human decision-making. So telling somebody that there's something really bad will happen if they don't do this uh, doesn't work. What works in fear is that you show them evidence of what the outcome looks like. So not that you show them, tell them that, well, I'm about to blow down the house, but you actually show them what your house looks like when it's not there anymore. And it's a really nuance, but it's really, really important about the power of using fear within it. Because most people have apathy, right? It's not going to happen to me. I'm not worried about it. Whether the probability is high or low for me, it's such an insignificant thing. I've got so many other things to worry about. And so a lot of people are apathetic and some to the point where they're just blissfully unaware about the world around them. And those are the people that I put in the top of five categories of prepared people. But as well, we have people who are avoidance, people who have a certain type of risk profile that when something seems too large, too difficult, too much of an obstacle and too life-changing to accept that that is in fact a potential reality they avoid. They just decide to vaporize the idea out of their mind happily and the individuals simply carry on with their day, maybe knowing somewhere back in that synaptic response in their brain that, you know, something really bad is coming down the pipe, but but because there's little to nothing they can do about it, they'll just vaporize happily when the nuclear bomb goes off. So understanding that fear is such a powerful emotion, understanding how influential that fear can be in your lives, and it's really important to understand and be reflective on what we've gone through in the last couple of years. You've seen different governments at the national and subnational level in the COVID-19 pandemic make different choices about their communication style. And if you think back and look at what your government at all the different levels told you and informed you, whether you believe that came from a position of trust or a position of fear, was the government trying to scare you into action or was the government trying to give you logical best evidence that they had at the time from a position of trust? right? So how do we counter fear, not just in the preparedness space, this is the frame of the podcast, I get it, but in life in general. It's to ask questions and to accept facts. And that simply means that when you get a piece of fear-inducing information, understand that the immediate 
fear response that is going to swell up into your body is a natural asymptomatic part of your body response, right? You can't control that. The immediate induction of fear in your body and your mind is your your basic human design to keep you alive, right? Because remember, your brain and your body is designed to keep you alive. So that initial five, six seconds of emotions that are going to overwhelm you right away, that's your natural body trying to do its job, right? From a physical fight or flight mechanism, um, fight, flight, or freeze in some cases, that's natural, okay? So your your responsibility is to be able to just breathe for that couple of seconds and get through that and then ask questions. I have a piece of information here that could be very important to me with potential dangerous outcomes. What do I need to know to deal with this? What are facts? And remember, there's no such thing as your facts, my facts, your truth, my truth. Those are axioms that have come out of the pandemic, and they're horrible, right? It doesn't exist. A fact is something we know to be true and that we have evidence to support that that is in fact true. And we hold it as true until we have new evidence to show that it is no longer true and something else is true, right? So we have facts. They are what they are. Seek evidence. If there is an unknown gap in information in whatever you're presented, it is your responsibility to seek out the evidence that will fill that gap, right? So for example, what is a novel coronavirus? A lot of us in the beginning were like, okay, I mean, I've heard of bird flu. I've heard of swine flu. I've heard of maybe MERS. SARS-CoV-1 came through Canada and a couple of countries around the world with quite a number of deaths. So these things do occur. So we had a bit of knowledge, but what was a novel coronavirus? Um, What was a wet market? Maybe not understanding, well, I want to know how this happened. Because remember, as humans, we always seek great answers, right? We want to know immediately how this happened. The most important thing in an initial response to a fear-induced emotional state is what actually is going on, right? Like what we'll find the cause later, we'll find um, the appropriate response later, but let's find out what's going on. Be cautious with claims that individuals and organizations make, right? It's that old adage that uh, your grandparent or some influential person in your life probably told you to take information with a grain of salt. Blind, absolute obedience is not required by the human species. We're far smarter than that, uh, unless you're children who are under guidance from an adult. um, And as you grow older, that becomes less and less appropriate. But blind obedience is not the appropriate response to fear-inducing information. Be cautious with claims that you have. But I have one very big guidance, and this is what I have found through my research, is trust institutions and not politicians. And I say that quite honestly, because politicians are individuals who maybe are not going to lie to you, but Let's trust institutions. Institutions, what I mean, are organizations and structures in society that transcend generations. They transcend your parents' generations, my parents' generations. They'll transcend our kids' generations. 
Uh, they'll transcend every political stripe that is in power back and forth. And when you think about that here in Canada, those would be things like the Public Health Agency of Canada. They would be Health Canada. The Institute for Virology in Wuhan, probably not, right? But you're going to need to trust institutions, right? Because otherwise they are the structures of society. And if you do not trust the words of an institution, um, then you're in trouble because that's not blind trust. That's trust, but verify. Trust with a bit of cautious, with a grain of salt, right? So when an institutional voice comes forward and said, we are concerned, this is what we know, this is what we don't know, based upon the information we have now, this is our best guidance that we're providing to the politicians and the decision makers. Those are trusted voices in society, right? Um, and there's been tons of research into how we prefer decisions to be made in society. And believe it or not, uh, we have, the research has shown, oh, but listen, just about just under 80%. So you can almost call it a Pareto distribution. Just under 80% of us in adults in North American society prefer to have the elected politicians make the decisions. We want them to get great advice from scientists, from medical professionals, but we do not want those professionals to have the decision-making power. We do not want that. We want our politicians and the elected officials to have the decision-making power, and that's based on two things. One, we know them because we put them there, and two, accountability. We can throw the bums out if we don't like them, right? We can't fire our chief medical officer of health. We can't fire um, the head of the, you know, industrial board of some region. We can't fire the head of the local community services organizations. Like we want all of these stakeholder voices to give best possible information to politicians, but we as a society want the politicians to have the power. Now, every once in a while, and the COVID was the COVID pandemic played clearly for us. We might have made a poor choice in politicians to have in power to navigate us through it, but that's the way um, democracy works. It's messy. It's supposed to be. So to come back to fear. So fear is out there and individuals and politicians and other organizations will attempt to use fear to elicit a response. In the preparedness world, that fear is designed to do two things. One, it's designed to make you afraid of the big bad day that is coming, to place you in a state of preparedness that has you exceptionally worried and feeling totally out of control. And the second part of that equation is, is the individual or organization is going to provide you the solution to that. So they're going to provide you a way to counter that through something that they are going to make economic gain from. So there are a lot of people out there that will say, here, do these following 10 things uh, and buy you out. Don't worry about it. I've got it figured out for you. The affiliate links are in my 
uh, video description. Just click on them below. I'll get a little bit of money. You're helping me out, but then you'll get the best possible deal out there. I've done the research for you. I've found the right sources for all the stuff that you need. If somebody is telling you there is an economic element to countering fear, then that individual has nothing but a financial interest in keeping you in a fear-induced paranoia. It's very, very important for organizations to do that who use fear to elicit a sales response. It's, it's one of the most effective ways to get people to buy. It's a way of going in and telling them about their fear it's a way of informing them about their fear, and it's a way of them informing them that you have a very, very simple and easy to access solution to sway their fear, to lessen their fear, to take that away from them and allow them to live a much more calm and focused life. There is an economic piece to that. Now, that is why fear-mongering is so prevalent in the preparedness world so prevalent in what is going on on YouTube uh, with societal collapse. Uh, whether you are a somebody calling for uh, who believes that World War Three is about to happen, or you are a just o- just stop oil activist who stands in roadways, you're looking for dramatic change at the moment, and you're using fear. You know, the fear if we don't stop using oil in five years, the world will tip over this this tipping point and we'll go down some magical road. Um, but all of that is fear mongering. Take the time to understand fear around you. Understand that it is the human most powerful emotion and that when it shows up, it's normal. Work your way through it. Seek the evidence. And in the world of preparedness, seek logic. Seek evidence. Look for research. If somebody is telling you these are the top 10 things you need to buy now before they're gone, that's a scarcity. That's what they do in economics, right? They tell you something has to be purchased now because of the principle of scarcity, which means there is insufficient. The item is rivalrous, which means the more I consume of it, the less available it is for you. That works in economics and it works in fear mongering. So when you think about preparedness, remember that preparedness is free. All the things that you need to do to adopt a prepared life cost no money. And anybody is telling you that there is a financial requirement to it has a financial interest in you understanding there's a financial requirement for it. So hopefully this episode was interesting that you get a little bit of understanding of fear and why it perpetuates the preparedness world and what you can do to counter the prevalence of fear. Uh, if you got any suggestions for future episodes, drop over to www.insidemycanoehead.ca. Follow us on social media. DM me. Drop me an email at jeff at preparednesslabs.ca. Uh, whether you agree with this or not, if you think I'm going down the wrong road with fear, I want to hear about that too, because that's how we get better in a sense of community and building a community like we are here at Inside My Canoe Head. We get better when we get to communicate. Thanks again. Stay safe and enjoy your week. (laughs) 